Good day and welcome to the ESPN Media Conference Call with NFL Draft Analyst Mel Kuyper, Jr. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Allie Stoneberg. Please go ahead, ma'am. Thanks, Shayla. Hello, media members, and happy draft season. Thank you for joining our NFL call this afternoon. As you've probably seen on ESPN.com, both Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay have two-round NFL mock drafts out today, and Mel is on the line to discuss. So just a brief reminder before we begin, please skip over personal greetings and start right away with your questions so we can keep this efficient. First question goes to Daryl Slater with the Newark Star-Ledger, and then we'll go to Jeff Shudell with the News Herald. Mock, or today's mock with, with the Jets at number six. Um, just a two-parter real quick. Uh-huh. Why do you think they'll go ahead and pass on Fournette in, in favor of Trubisky? And how quickly do you think Trubisky can be a competent starter in, in the NFL? Well, I just think it's at six. You think about Trubisky now as a top ten pick. What team would make the most sense is what I was trying to look at. And, yeah, you, know, you think about the Jets, are they drafting a quarterback for the next GM and the next head coach? You can't really worry about that if you're going into this draft. And as an organization, Trubisky's there, and you feel he can be an outstanding quarterback. Josh McCown's not going to play forever. He's obviously a quarterback that gives a bridge to your young kid once he's ready. And to have a young gun like Trubisky there, I don't think you worry about Hackenberg or Petty. You just keep, you keep trying. You're trying to get the right guy. And Trubisky needs time. McCown would allow him some time to develop. And as far as Fournette goes, I'm not an advocate of taking running backs in the first round. They have a couple backs that can get the job done that are veterans. And, you know, there's other options I know other than the quarterback. But I think if Trubisky's there, the Jets would uh, would make sense. Jeff Shudell, followed by Paul Domowicz with the Philadelphia Daily News. Go ahead with your question, Jeff. Which of these quarterbacks, Mel, do you think will uh, develop quickest and which has the highest ceiling? Good question, Jeff. I think as far as developing the quickest, uh, you know, all, all these quarterbacks have issues going in as the, you know, what they were this season, the system they come out of. Um, so I would say Nate Peterman of the uh, go outside the four, the quarterback out of pit has the best chance to come in and play from a just a mental standpoint and knowing the game and playing in a pro offense like Wentz did, which really helped him. I think he gets an edge over all these quarterbacks. Uh, Trubisky is a one-year starter. He needs some time. Watson has accuracy issues. He got better late in the year, but the accuracy issues are still there. So he needs to work on that. Mahomes comes out of a system that is not has not translated well to the NFL. Then you think about Kaiser coming out of an offense, obviously, where he didn't seem like he was the right fit. And he kind of had some struggles, but a lot of those struggles were because of the supporting cast, which was not up to the level it had been the previous year when they had Will Fuller and Ronnie Stanley and company. So I think all those quarterbacks have issues as to why they won't be immediate hole fillers or immediate standouts at the quarterback position. I think it's expecting too much from just about anybody anyway, but I think Nate Peterman would probably be the quarterback out of pit that may have a better chance to play right away and play more effectively than even the four guys to go in the first round possibly. Paul Domowicz, followed by Justin Rogers with Detroit News. Jay Howard, Mel, uh, you've got him going number six to the Jets. Uh, over the last 20 years, there have only been three tight ends that have been top, uh, taken in the top ten. Uh, what makes him uh, talented enough to be considered a top ten pick? 
Yeah, I dropped Tim Paul from six to ten in the, in the mock uh, that came out yesterday or today. Uh, I dropped him down to Buffalo. And I think he'd make sense for either one of those teams. Uh, certainly Buffalo with Tyrod Taylor having a weapon that's not only a, a receiving entity, but a heck of an inline blocker. And we haven't seen tight ends over the last few years with this type of multidimensional talent. You saw these tight ends in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Now you have kind of the glorified wide receivers who can't block. He is an extension of your line. He will help your running game. So I think a tight end that can block in line is a rarity these days. And that's why I think for Buffalo, with Tyrod Taylor and wanting to be both a run-oriented and pass-oriented team, uh, I think a guy like Howard who can help you both ways would be a nice fit there. He'd be a really nice fit anywhere, but I think he could drop down to 10 and where Buffalo's picking. And uh, I think at that point it would be pretty pretty easy to make a prediction. Justin Rogers, followed by Dave Southern with the Idaho Statesman. Mel, you've slotted Charles Harris to the lines in your recent mocks and in this latest projection ahead of other edge rushers like Taco Charlton and Derek Burnett. Given the Lions' history of taking some rangy ends capable of effectively playing the run as well, why have you zeroed in on, on Harris as the right fit over, over some of those other options? Well, I think in terms of talent, uh, you look at the way he comes off the ball, his explosiveness, that first step. Uh, you talk to offensive linemen, what they say, the thing that bothers offensive tackles the most is speed. Speed is the most important thing, and Harris has explosive first step, really good closing speed, and uh, I think Harris opposite Ansa uh, would be a guy that uh, would give them that extra pass rusher, that number two pass rusher, instead of just having all of it on Ansa to get the job done and get after the quarterback. I think athletically and speed-wise, he has the edge over Barnett, and certainly Charlton, although Charlton gets get his 40-time and prove that at his pro day from 4.92 to 4.84, uh, but Harris is significantly better uh, in all those areas, and then Barnett and Charlton. So I think if you, you know, when the people you talk to in the league expect Harris to go ahead of those other two defensive ends. We'll go to Dave Southern, followed by Adam Powell with the ACC Sports Journal. Bill, it seems like uh, Jeremy Nichols and Tanner Vallejo from Boise State did fairly well at the Combine. I want to get your thoughts on those two guys and then maybe anyone else from Boise State that may be on the radar a little bit for you. Nichols is going to go. I think he could go as high as the fourth round. It depends upon the opinion of those, those running backs that are out of the top ten group. And that would be when you get to this group of Joe Williams from Utah, Wayne Gallman from Clemson, Matt Days from NC State, Aaron Jones, UTEP, Jamal Williams, BYU, Marlon Mack, South Florida. In that group is Jeremy McNichols. That's going to determine if you put him at the top of that group, that means he's a fourth-round pick. Maybe maybe a third. He's put him at the bottom of that group, then he's a sixth, seventh round pick. So I think after it all shakes down, he's a fourth or fifth round pick. Uh, I think Vallejo's more of a late round pick, helps you on special teams right away. I think Thomas Spurbeck, as a slot receiver, with his hands and his uh, overall ability, uh, you know, could be a late rounder priority free agent that can make a football team. We'll go to Adam Powell, followed by Bryce Schrader with the University of Wisconsin. Yeah, I want to ask you where you see Deshaun Watson falling at this point. Yeah, I think he could go as high as, you know, you think about where teams are picking early on if there's no trades made. And there's always this talk about somebody trying to get up maybe ahead of the Jets that Tennessee could be looking to move down. So are they trading up to get Trubisky or are they trading up to get Watson? I'm talking about maybe the Cleveland Browns at 12. So conceivably he could go maybe at five if Tennessee is looking to get out of there and say Cleveland wanted to go up to get Watson. The question is, do they like Watson or Trubisky more? Nobody knows that right now. So if you say it's Trubisky, then Watson, if Cleveland didn't make that move and Trubisky were gone, he could go at 12. 
He could go at 13 as the heir apparent to Carson Palmer. Uh, those would be the two best spots, I think, for Watson, either Cleveland at 12 or Arizona at 13. Bryce Schrader followed by Mike Gross with Lancaster Newspapers. Um, do you think Ryan Ramzik can step in right away as a blindside protecting left tackle for a contending team, or do you think he'd be better off starting his rookie season at right tackle, learning the NFL game, and eventually making the move to left tackle? You know, Ramchek, I think, you know, you look at the way he keeps that big frame between the defensive end and the quarterback. He's very, very good at that. I mean, he, he, I'll tell you, he, for a kid with a one-year situation, uh, yeah, you, know, you think about the medical part, uh, that, that seems like that's, they're testing out favorably for him. Uh, but he really has a lot of savvy for an offensive tackle. And I'll tell you what, he does a good job. He's like, he's an underrated pass blocker. Uh, he gets after it in the run game. I think, you know, to go to Denver at 20 it would be a nice fit. Uh, I think if you look beyond that and you get into the latter portion of the first round, I can't see him getting past Houston, say, at 25. Uh, Seattle's at 26. Some teams that need offensive linemen there. But certainly Denver, whether it's Ryan Ramchek, Garrett Bowles out of Utah, Cam Robinson out of Alabama, you would think one of those three would maybe be the pick. All three could still be there uh, very easily uh, for Denver. So they may be looking at all three linemen. But I think when you look at Ramchek, just very impressed with the, just the way he goes about his business at that left tackle spot. At worst, he's a right tackle, but I hold out hope, based on what I saw on tape, that he can be a left tackle. Mike Gross, followed by Ryan O'Halloran with the Florida Times Union. Now, Chris Godwin for Penn State, we, we had heard that he kind of really did well at the Combine and maybe moved up into even as high as the late first round. I see neither of you, nor McShay, have him in the top two rounds. What's your assessment of him, and did he not was, – was the idea that he aced the combine a little overblown, maybe? Well, I think you go back and you watch Chris Scott. I nearly – I almost – this is how close some of these players are. He was a, almost a Pittsburgh Steeler in the second-round mock. I had him going there, and I bumped a couple players down, and it just it just didn't work out that way. But you could very easily – as I said, I had him in, in, in when I was doing some trial mocks over the weekend – going to Pittsburgh in the late second round. So with his speed, the way he tested, does he play quite as fast? You could argue he doesn't. I saw a couple games where I went back and looked where he did. Go to the USC game. He looked phenomenal. He looked like a first-rounder in that game. Uh, a lot of the fact was that they, they didn't have necessarily you know, always superior play. McSorley was a good quarterback, uh, no question. He was a competitor. Uh, and I thought Godwin, uh, you know, to me, if you saw the right game, you would think early to mid-second. Uh, if you saw him in some other games, then you thought, that did he always play to the level of that speed? Did it always coincide with the number? Uh, maybe it didn't. So I think it settles in where I really think he could go second round. At worst, uh, I would think third round. As I said, I didn't feel good taking him out of the second. Uh, but I think, like I say, right now I'd say late two, early three. Ryan O'Halloran followed by Dwayne Rankin with the Montgomery Advertiser. Hey, Mel, uh, your evaluation of two local kids down here, uh, Florida State's DeMarcus Walker and Virginia Tech receiver Isaiah Ford, and where they could fall on draft weekend. Yeah, Walker's just a football player. Right? He, he's trying to figure out where he fits. Is it inside or outside? You, know, you can kick him inside, he's, he's disruptive. Outside, does is he, is he have the speed? I talk about speed to power. That's what you want to see now. And I've made mistakes on some guys that didn't have great speed and explosiveness out of the block, that they've had trouble. Because if you can't convert that speed to power and you don't have that initial burst, it's tough. And I think when you look at, uh, at Walker, can he do that? Can he be an inside guy? Or is he just a versatile backup? If he is that, then he's a third or fourth round pick as opposed to a second round pick. Isaiah Ford, dedicated player. 
Uh, you know, he's not quite as explosive as some of the other players were. Uh, does he test his great? No, but he's a good football player. I like his hands. I like his competitiveness, his desire to go into traffic and fight for the football. Uh, he gives you a little bit of a stretchability down the field. Um, I think uh, he's, I think he's a little underrated. I think he's kind of falling back a bit. When you look at the wide receivers in this draft and you look at how they're slotted right now, he would probably be more of a late second tier, early third tier guy. He, you know, he's in there with, uh, you know, Chad Hansen from Cal, you got Mac Hollins from North Carolina ahead of him right now, Josh Malone, Tennessee ahead of him a little bit. So I think uh, you could see Isaiah Ford maybe end up being a fourth round pick. Dwayne Rankin, followed by Kent Babb with the Washington Post. Yes, uh, in regards back to O.J. Howard, obviously we see the talent, but has his, you know, off the field, not not getting in trouble, being a character guy, how much has that raised his draft stock? And then, two, uh, what things in the league could, could, could he still trip up on? I know you mentioned a lot of superlatives, but what things could trip him up as far as uh, the game itself in the league? Well, I think he wasn't utilized. He could argue that it was against Alabama. He wasn't utilized as much as he should have been, considering the talent he brings to the position. You talk about speed for a kid that size, tremendous athleticism, big hands, long arms. He's got it all. He is a matchup nightmare. I said all year he should be catching six, seven, eight passes a game. He wasn't even targeted that much. I mean, he to catch two, three a game. So, uh, you know, you, you blame that on the system. You blame it on the young quarterback who's more of a runner than a passer. And, uh, you know, excuse it away that way. Uh, so that's the only concern. His blocking was really good. Uh, I thought he showed he could stretch the deep middle and be a short, intermediate, consistent option uh, when he was thrown to. He, he didn't drop many. He had a couple drops. That's it. Uh, most of the targets when he was targeted, he caught. He, he runs pretty hard after the catch. Um, he's worthy. I mean, Vernon Davis went sixth overall. Kellen Winslow Jr. went sixth. Uh, we've had uh, Riley Odoms went very early in the top five. We've had Eric Ebron go at ten. I see no reason why Buffalo at ten, even into the top six to the Jets at six, could not look at would not look at O.J. Howard. I, I think when you look at the best players in this draft and you do say a ratings board, and on my top twenty-five board right now, he's at number six. So I think he's certainly one of the top five, six, seven players in this draft. Kent Babb, followed by Rich Campbell with the Chicago Tribune. Hey, Mel. Uh, for last year uh, in the yeah, Trump's uh, we talked so much about talent and transition into the NFL, but how much more do you think players and agents are aware of social media, who has access to it, what's been on there, than, than we were even 365 days ago? I think that's a good point. I think they, they should be, and they should have always been aware of that. Uh, you, you tell everybody, uh, the, you know, with social media now, that's, you know, that's your, what the, how the world, how everybody's going to perceive you. And that, that's kind of your own website with the things that you put out there. And you got to be really careful and understand that there's going to be ramifications if some things are, are not, uh, you know, something that's going to be favorable. So I, I hope everybody's learned from that, but you never know. Uh, you, you just sit back and hope because you don't want to see anybody have to worry about sliding down because of something like that. And talented players that should go based on ability in the top, say, group drop that down a little bit. You never want to see that. But Tunsil fell to Miami. He's a key entity now, uh, you know, moving out from guard and tackle. So uh, he's a guy that's going to be critical to Tannehill and, and how he performs. So it fell right in the long run for, Tana, for Tunsil in terms of where he went to Miami. And it looks like he's got a nice career going there. But uh, I would think everybody is aware of how much that can affect uh, where you end up on April 27th, 28th, or 29th. Rich Campbell, followed by Steve Megary with the Associated Press.
Hey, Mel, just uh, looking at the Bears' options at safety at number three overall, trying to sort through those, and, and wondering your take on Jamal Adams' cover ability and Malik Hooker's sample size here, the fact that he's only played really one season. Yeah, I think with Hooker, yeah, he's got a little Ed Reed in him. There's no question. Those are the comparisons that make sense. But Reed did it over a longer you know, <clears throat> period of time. I think when you look at Hooker, uh, he, yeah, he's not that super aggressive, great tackling safety, but you sacrifice a little bit now in today's NFL because it's a pass-happy race. But you still got to be able to tackle. He's adequate there. Adams is better in that regard, not as good in coverage. You know, he doesn't have the ball skills and the explosiveness and range in coverage that Hooker does. So you wish you could take a little bit from, from one and put it in the other. Then you'd have the perfect safety. Uh, but Adam is running that, you know, unofficial four threes, low four fours today is actually a lot better than four, five, six. The bothersome part is the 31 and a half vertical jumps. Uh, but I think Adam still goes seven to ten. Chargers looking for a safety at seven. Buffalo looking for a safety possibly at ten. We'll go to Steve Megary, followed by Jim McBride with the Boston Globe. I was just wondering about your forecast for Joshua Dobbs and whether your expectations for him have changed at all since the end of the season with the Senior Bowls Pro Day workout and the like. Yeah, I think when you go back and you look at Tennessee, again, we talked about Deshaun Kaiser. Are some of the throws and some of the things that go on the quarterback's fault or is it the receiver's fault? And that's, again, the argument you can make in some cases with Dobbs in Tennessee. You think about the Senior Bowl week, how it helped him. You think about interviews, obviously, that's going to help him. He's an incredibly intelligent, great character, classy quarterback, off the field, leadership, all that. Respect everything he has from an intangible standpoint. Uh, physically, he has the, the physical traits you want as well. So if you can feel like a better supporting cast would have helped him uh, maybe play a little bit better on the surface, um, at Tennessee, then you could think about Josh Dobbs in the second or third round. Right now, I have him as the sixth or seventh. I'm debating Brad Kaya and Josh Dobbs at six, right behind Trubisky, Watson, Mahomes, Kaiser, and Peterman. So I think uh, you know, he may end up being the sixth quarterback taken. And if he is, with four in the first round possibly and Peterman in the second, you could see Dobbs in the late second, early third round. Jim McBride, followed by Nate Davis with USA Today. Uh, Mel, with the Patriots not picking until the third round, do you, do you see a, uh, an impact edge rusher that, that could fall to him that far down? Yeah, I do. I think there's going to be a cut. This is a very deep year for defensive ends, and I think and, and combo outside linebackers. I'll, I'll throw some names out there because this is a great group of underrated players. Uh, Terrell Basham from Ohio, Trey Hendrickson from Florida Atlantic, Keontae Davis from UT Chattanooga, uh, to go, just go to guys that, that are already projected to be outside linebackers, a guy like Derek Rivers out of Youngstown State. How far will Tim Williams from Alabama drop? Tim Williams was considered a first-round pick two years ago. Now there's thought maybe he could be a third-round pick. Justin Houston, when he was at Georgia, was talked about as a first-round pick at one point, dropped to the third round. Ryan Anderson out of Alabama. Another one, Vince Beagle out of Wisconsin. Juan Price out of Pitt. Devontae Fields out of Louisville. Uh, all those guys are interesting when you get into that third, fourth, fifth round area. Nate Davis, followed by Jack Wang with the Orange County Register. Hi, Mel. I guess I'm looking at the running backs after Fournette and Cook and kind of how early you would take one of these combo guys like McCaffrey uh, or Alvin Kamara, and then also uh, how early do you think Joe Mixon goes? Yeah, that's good. I think in terms of McCaffrey, Fournette's going to go probably top 10. Carolina at 8 is where I project them. 
have projecting there just about every mock, uh, but the one where I moved them up and into the jet. Uh, in terms of McCaffrey, you thought at one point in time, you know, he could be down there for Green Bay, Kansas City, New England, uh, and then New England, of course, traded out of there with the Cooks deal, so New Orleans now is at 32. He's not going to be there in the late first. It's, it's just not going to happen right now. You hear talk about Philadelphia, the Eagles having an interest in Christian McCaffrey. I thought Washington would be a good fit. The Colts are another team. Uh, so, I mean, even Carolina at eight, if they, if Fournette, say, was gone ahead of them, I think Todd had Fournette going to Jacksonville at four. If that happened, I think Carolina could look at McCaffrey at eight. Uh, tremendous. You know, he's more than a running back. He could be a slot receiver. He could be a wide receiver. Punt returner, kick returner, obviously. Mixon, I think, is a solid second rounder. I projected him to Cleveland at pick 33. It hadn't been for the serious off the field issue. Would it be looking at the, probably the first running back taken? If not, at worst, the second running back taken, and probably an early to mid first round pick. Now you're thinking more second round. Uh, I think Samaj P. Ryan, teammate of Mixon in Oklahoma, if you want a powerhouse destroyer running with the ball at 230-plus pounds with 30 reps, the strength he has, the powerful running style of Samaj P. Ryan, I think he's a second-round pick. I project him, I think, for the Giants. When you look at Paul Perkins and, and P. Ryan, that would be a great one-two punch there. Cook from Florida State's a late one, early two. Kamara, I'm not as high on as some are from Tennessee. I think he's more of a situational player. Uh, return man, I think he's more of a second-round pick. I think it might be a little high, but he'll probably fall in round two. Deontay Foreman, Texas, second or third round. Kareem Hunt from Toledo, a little underrated if you get him in the third or fourth round. T.J. Logan, North Carolina, has moved up. Great combine, real good kick returner, good pro day. You could teach, say, see T.J. Logan from North Carolina in round three. Jack Wang is next, followed by Tim May with the Columbus Dispatch. Hey, Mel, how do you think the depth of the running back class might change how teams value the position this year? And does this group at all change the narrative of recent years that, that running backs aren't as valuable in today's NFL? No, I don't think it changes. You know, Ezekiel Elliott had a great year, and uh, 11 of the 12 playoff teams didn't have a first-round running back. Um, the fact that McCaffrey and Fournette are up there, they were expected to be. Fournette was a top player coming out of high school. Uh, McCaffrey, Heisman candidate two years ago, and then again this year, and uh, yeah, spectacular player. Uh, Mixon, we've been talking about way up there if it wasn't for the serious off-the-field issue. And then you have Dalvin Cook dropping into the late first, early to mid-second round. So I think you have two running backs definitely in the first, maybe three. Uh, but it, I don't think there's any impact. If the players have a lot of ability, remember Todd Gurley, you have Todd Gurley-type ability, you have Ezekiel Elliott-type ability, you're going to go. Uh, you know, on the other side of the coin, if you say, I don't want to take a running back in the first, like, which has been my philosophy, you look at last year with Jordan Howard, the fifth-round pick uh, you know, to Chicago Bears, and had a great rookie year. You go back to David Johnson when he went to Arizona in the third round and numerous others. So uh, that's my philosophy. It's always been that way. But I said last year I had no problem. If you, if you have an elite running back like Elliott or Gurley, and the offensive coordinator and the head coach are pounding the table that we got to have them, you take them if you're the GM. Uh, I don't know if Fournette will be as consensus as a super elite back as those two were, but, uh, you know, hey, I still think he's a top ten back. McCaffrey's kind of a, of a jack-of-all-trades. So I think two running backs in the first, maybe three. We'll go to Tim May and then Matt Baker with the Tampa Bay Times. Well, thank you very much, Tim May. Uh, Mel, how much is that Malik Cooker, the evaluation of him being hurt, uh, by him not being able, obviously, to work out. He won't be able to do any workouts until basically after the draft. Uh, and then number two, uh, who, who of the Ohio State guys coming out could be a sleeper in your, in your evaluation? Good question on, on, with Hooker because he has with that medical question. Uh, will he be able to open the season, you know, helping a defense, or will he have to start out on PUP? Um, 
you know, all those things are what teams are looking at now with their medical staff. Uh, but he's a top five guy. I mean, on, on, if you just say without any injury concern, he's one of the best five players in this draft. Um, a safety that can move and run the range and, and the ability, the ball skills that he has, it's elite. Um, you know, that's the only thing that could push him down just a bit. Uh, so if you can reconcile the, the medical part, you take him in the top ten. If you can't, then maybe he drops down just a bit. But he's a super elite player. I think Noah Brown's interesting coming out early. Uh, yeah, didn't run great, but a big receiver, big body receiver. You know, you'd like to see them get more experience uh, at Ohio State, but I think he's intriguing when you saw just glimpses of maybe what he could be in the late rounds. If you can bring in Noah Brown in, uh, I think at that point he's a developmental wide receiver. Had he gone back to Ohio State and had production next year, it would probably been a second or third round pick. So I think Noah Brown is interesting. And as a wild, another wild card like McCaffrey is Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel with that four three speed. I don't think it always translates to the field. But as a receiver, running back, a situational, multi-dimensional player, I think he could go second or third round. Matt Baker and then Steve Serby with the New York Post. Hey, Mel, I was curious your thoughts on two guys who are a lot further down on your board, uh, Joey Ivey, the defensive lineman from Florida, and Matt Burita, the running back from Georgia Southern, if you think either one of those is draftable. Yeah, Breed, I thought, you know, had a shot, I think. But, the, yeah, you look at the running backs, he's down the line to the point where probably uh, an undrafted free agent who will be able to have a chance to make a football team. I mean, he showed even early in his career at Georgia Southern, when you're getting outside, he can, he can do some damage. Uh, otherwise, his ability to break a tackle and stay on his feet, his balance improved. I think Ivy right now is down the list to be an undrafted uh, free agent, a late-round pick at best. He showed flashes, obviously, staying healthy there. But uh, I think late-round priority free agent for probably both those players. We'll go to Steve Serby, followed by Les Bowen with the Philadelphia Daily News. Hey, Mel. How you doing? Um, two guys I'm interested in, T.J. Watt and Caleb Brantley. Can, can Watt bulk up to be a defensive end? You know, I think he, he can in the right scheme. Uh, then you're talking about, you know, uh, certain defenses where I think he could get enough weight on uh, or he'll play on his feet as a 3-4 outside linebacker. Uh, I think he's a second-round pick uh, with his pass rush ability, and obviously the Watt name is going to help him. Uh, just plays hard all the time, and he will work as hard as anybody as well. So I think Watt's a second-rounder, but I think 3-4 and 4-3 teams will look at him, which will help his cause. Uh, Caleb Brantley – I like them. I, yeah, I understand, you know, he's not a guy that week to week showed great pass rush ability, but he can stop the run. Uh, you know, he showed pretty good quickness in a couple games that I noticed. But yeah, I thought he could really took off to maybe even be a first round pick. He just didn't see it week in and week out. I saw two or three games where he looked like a mid to late first round pick. I think when you get into the second round and you're the Washington Redskins, the Minnesota Vikings, uh, I think Caleb Brantley goes in round two. Les Bowen, followed by John Zenner with the Associated Press. Hi, Mel. I have a question about Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, I'm trying to find a parallel for a guy that's so highly regarded. I mean, everybody has him in their top five or top ten, who's a one-year starter who has this significant injury thing. Uh, is that unusual? Is he just such a great athlete that you have to put him in that range, even though – I would think if I were a team drafting, I'd have some questions. Well, you had the question with the hamstring, but I, the strings. But I think you look at how he played all year. You looked at Ohio State, and the guy that jumped out at you wasn't 
you know, Raekwon McMillan, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily Gary Conley who came on late and had a heck of a year overall, but the guy was a steady player, Malik Hooker, obviously a great player on that defense and a, new, and a number of others. Uh, but he was the guy that this was a lockdown corner. And he looked like he could be Darrell Rivas. He looked like he could be that, that cornerback that you can take in the top ten that will be spectacular, will be one of the best cover men in the NFL. Uh, he doesn't, excuse <clears throat> me, have to worry about being handsy and grabbing and holding. I mean, he can actually cover. And in the NFL, you look at these college corners, some of them get a little too, I call them handsy, because what, what worked in college is going to be the result in penalties galore in the NFL for some of these guys. So Lattimore doesn't give you that concern. He's a cover man all the way, a tremendous cover man. So uh, yeah, he looked like a top five, top ten pick all year. So if you want to bump him down a bit, you can. I think just on ability, when you do a, a breakdown of the best players in this draft, he's certainly, in my opinion, one of the top five to seven. All right, thank you. John, John Zenner, followed by Patrick Finley with the Chicago Sun-Times. John Zenner has disconnected. Okay, we'll go to Patrick Finley with the Chicago Sun-Times. Yeah, I know. Uh, when teams look at Jonathan Allen's shoulder, um, is that, is, have you encountered anybody who's just crossed him off the list yet? And, and, and how do you project him when you look at somebody with such good tape, but, a, you know, a, a medical thing that will never get better, probably? Yeah, I, I haven't heard anybody that says that they would not you know, take him off any list. You talk to, you know, talk to 32 teams, obviously, but uh, when you talk to enough, the consent is not going to hurt him. Uh, you know, it's not, not something you worry about, you know, 15, 20 years down the road. With an NFL team, you want to, you know, try to say, okay, how is he going to be now moving forward five to seven, eight years? And Jonathan Allen will be fine. He's a tremendously mature kid. He obviously has great talent and a great year. And the great thing about Allen is, you know, he gives you that three technique. If you're Jacksonville, uh, you know, you're picking up top five where they are at pick number four. They already added Calais Campbell. They had an interest in Dontari Poe. I think Jonathan Allen would fit what they want to do. I mean, he's an interior presence. And he can get after the quarterback up the gut, which is the worst pressure a quarterback can have. So, no, I have not heard anybody say that that's going to push him down significantly. Uh, may it be, if he does drop beyond the top five or six, then you can look back and say maybe it was. But I don't see him dropping past Chicago at three or Jacksonville at four. Now, if he did, then maybe you could say after the draft is over, that was a slight factor in this whole thing. We'll go to Nate Elric with the Akron Beacon Journal, followed by Mike Chappell with Fox 59 Indianapolis. Hey, Mel. Uh, can you give me your uh, pros and cons on Davis Webb and kind of where he fits into your quarterback rankings, what range you think he might get picked? Yeah, I'm uh, you know a little bit more, I guess, I wouldn't say down on Webb, but not as high on him as some others are. I think he, I put him at eight on my quarterback list. Uh, behind Trubisky, Watson, Mahomes, Kaiser, Peterman, Dobbs, and Kai, about the same grade, then Webb. Uh, you love the size. You love, love the ability to see the field. He can make the throw all the throws. It's just the accuracy. I saw some throws that left you scratching your head. Guys open. Now, Chad Hansen was a heck of a receiver for Cal, and he was their go-to option. But I just didn't see the consistency. I didn't see the accuracy with Webb. Uh, some people think he could go second round. I hope he does. Uh, you know, you ever always get go high in the draft. So uh, if he goes second, great for him. Uh, I would not think about Webb uh, you know, that early. Uh, like I said, I think on my list, I'd say he'd be a little bit overrated. But I'm hoping he does go second round because that's what you kind of hear out there, second or third round for Davis Webb with his size. And he can definitely spin it. I just think the system and the lack of great accuracy is the reason why I'm not quite as high on him as maybe some others are. 
Mike Chappell, followed by Bill Rabinowitz with the Columbus Dispatch. Yeah, Mel, the Colts obviously have a lot of issues, and some guys have them looking offensive line first round or maybe right ahead. You've been pretty steady. Early on you had the Colts going McKinley, and now you're going Reuben Foster. Why have you been so set on defense? And I guess why those two players you think, whichever one goes with that way, why would those two help? Well, like I had when I had McKinley, they had not brought in all those other you know, edge guys. So you, once they did that, once free agency started, McKinley comes off the list because I thought McKinley could be like Robert Mathis. That's who I compare him to. Uh, but they've gone other, they've had other options, they've gone other routes there. So then you say, okay, how about inside linebacker? And that's obviously an area where Foster would really all of a sudden you got the outside presence you need. Now you get the big time inside backer if he's there, and I think he could be. Obviously, offensive lines intriguing. If you say, look at Cam Robinson from Alabama. Ryan Ramchek from Wisconsin. So I understand all that. Christian McCaffrey's enticing as well. I just think if you can make the, do the things that they did in free agency, okay, if you do all that, and that helps your defense, particularly on the outside with the guys you've added, and that's a pretty, you know, John Simon, and of course, you know, Sheard, uh, Mingo, uh, now you bring in Foster, you really upgrade your, your linebacking situation tremendously. Bill Rabinowitz, followed by Jim Wyatt with Titans Online. Yes, no, another Marshall Lattimore question. How rare is it to have a guy who has that kind of meteoric rise? And also, are you hearing that the reason he pulled up at the 40 was, was not the hamstring like he and his agent have said, but a hip flexor? Is there a bunch of concern about that, the hamstring issue still? It's brought up. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that will push him down that far. I mean, some think he could drop down maybe to 10 spot, the Buffalo, and I think Todd had him possibly dropping there. I have him to Tennessee at five. There's been talk that Tennessee could be looking to trade out of five and move down. Uh, keep in mind, Tennessee, who desperately needed a cornerback, did sign Logan Ryan over from New England. So they got their veteran corner. I think they need another one. But uh, now they don't have to prioritize it as much as they once did. Uh, but I do think Lattimore is worthy of going that high. Uh, but like I said, Todd has him at 10, uh, to Buffalo. Uh, is it a concern? Is it brought up? Yes, it is. Uh, the one-year thing, he was so good. He's a corner uh, coming out early. You know, another year at Ohio State, yeah, he's been a lot to be in that group. So, um, you know, like I said, I think he goes definitely top ten. Whether he drops down to that ten spot is debatable. Uh, but, like I say, everybody knows on, on just ability and the way he performed on tape, he's as good as any defensive player in this draft after Miles Garrett. Jim Wyatt, followed by Rodney Mitchell with TSJ Sports. No, you just mentioned Lattimore there, but you have Lattimore going five to the Titans, Davis going 18th overall. How happy should the Titans be if it plays out that way? And I noticed you've got Ross dropping to 32nd after previously having him going at 18. Maybe why Davis over Ross and the drop there? Yeah, I think in terms of that, it's more the injury thing with Ross uh, in the size. You know, he's not that big. Uh, he's super fast. He's got the versatility. He's a great kick returner. Uh, but the, the knee, uh, the shoulder, uh, those issues, I think, are the reason why he could drop a bit. You know, Davis, bigger, fast. Uh, you know, I thought he, you know, the majority of the balls he was targeted with, he caught. He did have a few drops here and there. But I, I thought his consistency catching the football was more than good enough. He's got ability after the catch. He's quick out of his cuts. He can explode uh, when he gets his hands on the football. Uh, yeah, he's got the ankle he's worked through. So I think all the receivers drop a bit. Even Mike Williams have it nine, not in the top five or six. Uh, but I could see him being there at 18. And then, uh, of course, you have Lattimore at five. So you get the corner opposite Ryan and you get a guy like Davis, you've given Marcus Mariota a, a nice target. 
Uh, you know, coming out of the Mid-American Conference, that'll be a little concern. He wasn't working against big-time corners every week. But uh, Corey Davis works hard. I, when we talked to P.J. Fleckner, former head coach, uh, during the year, he raved about Corey Davis's work ethic. So he's the first one on the practice field, last one to leave. Really, uh, you know, just loves the game, loves the, works hard, practices hard. So you got to like that part of it for a guy coming out of the Mid-American Conference. Rodney Mitchell, followed by Joe Fan with the San Francisco 49ers. Hey, what's going on? Good to talk to you, Mel. Quick question for you regarding Obi Melifonwu with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You see the fit comparison to Byron Jones with the Dallas Cowboys. So would that be a fit with the Pittsburgh Steelers lack to finally play man coverage? And also, quickly, what are your thoughts about Jabril Peppers? You know, I think Melifon will, it could be in the late first. I have Pittsburgh taking Derek Barnett, the, you know, would be an outside linebacker, a pass rusher for them. Uh, but Melifon will is a guy, enormously talented. I, I did, yeah, he missed a few tackles here and there. He still needs a little bit of work, uh, you know, and to complete and round off his game a bit. But he's supremely talented. He's in the mix. I've been going right now to the 49ers uh, early in round two. As far as Peppers, you know, he's a wild card. I mean, he hasn't defined that safety position yet. Uh, but he's going to be a great return man right away. I think it'd be a splash pick for the Dallas Cowboys, who could certainly use a safety, uh, use an impact player like what he could be down the road, maybe not right away at safety, but once he learns and settles in, he is a super explosive athlete, uh, Jabril Pepper. So I believe he's a first-round pick, but maybe more the latter half of round one and certainly maybe the end of round one. So uh, it's a conceivable he could still be there for Dallas. Joe Fan and then Kyle Martin with Raiders.com. Hey, Mel, curious uh, about your picks to the 49ers, why Solomon Thomas is worthy of that number two overall pick. And, and then also curious about, uh, you just mentioned uh, Mel Fonwu, and then usually it's tape over workouts, but it feels like maybe with him it's workout over tape since you had him in the fourth round, your initial, uh, initial grade. So is that position dictated just because as a DB you have to be athletic, or, or why is he uh, skyrocketed for you? Well, I think that had a lot to do with it because when I watched him, I actually wrote him up. If you go to ESPN.com, I do an under-the-radar player every Sunday morning based on tape from that Saturday. And he was a guy I highlighted. Uh, did I think he was perfect that day? No, but he showed all the talent that you saw when he tested. So you saw all that ability and all that speed and athleticism was evident on tape. Yeah, so, and I think the Senior Bowl week certainly helped him. So uh, it's not a force, I think, to say early second round for Melifon. Well, I've heard people think late first. In terms of Solomon Thomas, it wasn't about just the one game in North Carolina. I thought he had a heck of a year go back to several games, Notre Dame and others, where he was a dominant player. Maybe it was the fact that Stanford didn't have the great year expected, and maybe it was a case where, you know, you think about where Stanford was this year. Like I said, not a lot of eyes on that team. Everybody thinking Solomon Thomas may go back because he was only a third-year sophomore, so maybe they weren't viewing him as a draftable guy right away early in the year. Maybe that played a part in him being a guy that came out supposedly out of nowhere because he is a third-year sophomore, but he's a great kid. Uh, phenomenal talent. Uh, you know, there'll be a third straight year they drafted a defensive lineman high, which be yeah, a little, little bothersome, but uh, no, Solomon Thomas, I think, gives you more versatility than maybe the, the other two, and uh, certainly if you look at that North Carolina game, that, I think, made him a lot of money. The game he had in that Sun Bowl against Mitch Trubisky in North Carolina, I think, moved him from maybe the ninth pick in the first round to Cincinnati all the way up into that second round spot, uh, second pick spot on round one. Kyle Martin, and then Chris Brown with BuffaloBills.com. Hey, Mel. So uh, I see you got Kevin King going to the Raiders, and obviously last year we took Carl Joseph to add to the secondary a little bit. 
So what will it be like to have Kevin King in the uh, the secondary, and what it will do for guys like the Khalil Mack in the defensive line? It's going to help out because you need a corner. And, uh, you know, you know actually with D.J. Hayden didn't pan out the way they had hoped. But, uh, yeah, I think with King's size, and you say, well, he'd be great for Seattle. They like those kind of corners. Oakland, you think about where they are with their secondary cornerback with that kind of skill set because a lot of eyes were on King. And I think what impressed me about him was when I was watching Sidney Jones this year, unfortunately Jones got hurt at his pro day, but Jones was going to be the top 10 to 15 caliber corner. And he was really good. So they would attack King a little more. King was up to the task. I mean, he showed ball skills. He showed awareness. He showed great anticipation. Uh, he would tackle. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he's, he's lean, uh, but he's tall. He's long. And he would, he would throw his body around. Uh, he wasn't, he weren't playing with 10 guys. He was out there at that, uh, that corner who would tackle, uh, and made some key tackles in some games. So, I uh, he emerged. I think because eyes were on Sidney Jones so much, he said, oh, look at this guy. He's getting attacked and he's up to the task. So, and then he worked out great. So right now, some people think Kevin King could be the second cornerback taken. I wouldn't have any big argument with that. Like I said, I think he's right up there. So he can go anywhere between, say, 14 and, and 24. I'm going right now to the Raiders, but he is a guy that definitely has helped his stock this year and certainly with his workouts. Chris Brown and then James Crash with the Newark Star Ledger. Mel, over the last five years, it's been just under 17 defensive players taken in round one on average. Uh, with all the pub about the defensive players in this class, how high do you think that number could go in round one? And then just your assessment of the cornerback class, and is there one in recent history that compares to the depth and the talent? Yeah, I think the defense uh, is going to dictate a lot about the early portion of round one, and really all the way through some really good uh, defensive players. As I said, the pass rushers, the combo guys, the front seven guys, I think the you know, the safety and cornerback spot are really good. And you talk about corner, and I think it goes really deep. I mean, Akello Willerspoon, the cornerback from Colorado, had a really good year. Brendan Langley, formerly of Georgia, then of Lamar, had a, you know, showed he has ability to be maybe a second or third round pick. Russell Douglas at West Virginia, Cam Sutton at Tennessee, uh, DeMonte Casey at San Diego State could be a nickel corner like Tavon Young was for the Ravens this year as a fourth-round pick. And I think that's about where you would expect Casey to come off the board. Ashton Lampkin is a talent out of Oklahoma State. Shaq Griffin at Central Florida. I'm going to play well. didn't play great, then tested off the charts. So he kind of sent everybody back to the drawing board after his great workout, as did Jalen Myrick at Minnesota. Uh, Ezra Robinson, Michigan State, then Tennessee State's an interesting kid. Nickel corner, Corn Elder out of Miami of Florida. Nate Harrison, I think, is underrated out of Temple. I mean, you could go 30, 35 deep in terms of corners that can play in this league this year. I have right now, I think it's 18, 19 in the first two rounds in terms of defensive backs overall. So this is, this is an extraordinary year because of the depth. I mean, you may have, you would have had six corners in the first round if Sidney Jones didn't get hurt. You're pretty much, I think, going to see five in the first. You could have a ton of second-round corners and third-round corners with the, the way – I didn't even mention Desmond King at Iowa, Quincy Wilson at Florida, and Adoree Jackson uh, at USC, and then Chita Bayouzier from Colorado, who are all right now second-round possibilities. James Crash, and then we'll go to Andrew Mason with DenverBroncos.com. Mel, just curious for your thoughts on Vanderbilt linebacker Zach Cunningham. I, I don't think you had him in your first two rounds. I think Todd had him in the – Middle of the second round, he's a guy who seems to be all over the board based on various mocks. I mean, the first round is completely out of it. Yeah, I'd put him in a second. I, I had him penciled in to Arizona. He's one of the ones that I, looking at, I had him going to Arizona at 45. They need an inside linebacker. 
Uh, Minter's moved on. There's talk that they could look at Reuben Foster. Uh, I haven't taken Patrick Mahomes in the first round, but uh, yeah, you could have penciled very easily as Zach Cunningham, and I gave him a cornerback, Jordan Lewis, out of Michigan. Uh, so yeah, Cunningham, very athletic. I, another, another guy I highlighted on ESPN.com is a guy moving up during the year. Uh, very rangy, very athletic uh, inside linebacker. Um, yeah, like I say, if you're looking for a good spot to project, it would be 45 to Arizona. So really fine line in these mocks between second and third round for guys. And like I said before, with a couple other kids, uh, he would be one of the guys that was like with Chris Godwin, the wide receiver at Penn State. There were some kids I had in the second. I just bumped them out because of needs for some other teams and just guys I had to get in there. But, you know, Cunningham to me, I believe he probably will go second round. And I probably made a mistake not putting him in there. Andrew Mason is next, and then we'll go to Connor Brunner with 1070 to fan. Uh, Mel, uh, in a deep tight end class, you had uh, the Broncos taking Adam Shaheen uh, in the second round. Even though he's out of D2, what has allowed him to jump up past the other tight ends that are in that second, third round caliber? Just a rare talent. I mean, uh, you just watch him. Go watch the kid. Uh, yeah, you can go see the, you know, the talent and the ability. Uh, you know, he's got a, he's a huge target. You know, you talk about a guy with his height, 275, 280 pound frame, runs so well, so fluid, smooth, good hands. I mean, basketball background, uh, you know, as a second or third round pick, that's where you expect him to go. The other kind of sleeper tight end is Eric Salbert out of Drake, who's a really athletic, you know, the tight end who can make the spectacular highlight film catch. Uh, he's going to be in that third or fourth round mix. So I think Shaheen, like I said, I had thought third or fourth round, and you keep hearing maybe second round. So that's why I projected him in the mock to the Denver Broncos. Next is Conrad Brunner, followed by Don Williams with the Lubbock Journal. Yeah, Mel, the Colts, obviously, their, their biggest pronounced need and announced need is for an edge rusher. A lot of different ways they could go in the first round. If they don't go edge in the first round, how deep can they wait to get a guy that can help them right away? And I guess the other part of that would be with Chris Ballard in his first draft. How does he impact how you project the Colts? Yeah, I think you look at what they did there. They went for linebackers a lot. And I thought about going, but they went heavy in free agency to that position. So, yeah, they, if they wait, I mentioned some of the guys. The guy that I think is interesting is Derek Rivers out of Youngstown State. Uh, I think he is enormously talented. Tyus Bowser is another kid out of Houston. I had him in the late first and one projected and moved him into the early second. I think both those kids are outstanding edge rushers that uh, I don't think get enough publicity. Obviously, Bowser at Houston, the offense kind of stole the show, but he was spectacular. Uh, eight, eight and a half sacks in eight games he played in. Had an injury that kept him out of five games. And as I said, Derek Rivers out of Youngstown State, if he'd have played at a major school, not a one double A program, he'd have been probably a first round pick. We'll go to Don Williams with the Lubbock Journal, followed by Mike Nizolik with 247 Sports. Hey, Mel. Um, I noticed that you and Todd both have Patrick Mahomes going to uh, teams with established veteran quarterbacks. How important do you think it is that he does not have to be the guy right away? And also, besides the obvious uh, arm talent, what do you think has enabled him to rise the most over these last few months? I think it's just the, exactly that. When people go back and watch him, you know, I know John Gruden is very high on Patrick Mahomes, and uh, you know, you think about the arm talent. It's rare to see a kid that can spin it and and the explosiveness in those throws. I mean, they just jump out of his hand, and they, they <clears throat> he makes up so much ground because it looks like he's throwing to a crowded area, and the ball just that 98 mile an hour fastball just gets there in a blink. 
Uh, and he sees it. He, he has great vision down the field for that third, fourth, fifth option. His eyes, he sees things. Bobby Knight used to talk about seeing things and seeing the court. He sees the field, and he's mobile. Um, that's why he's moved up. And if he goes to Arizona, he's behind Carson Palmer. If he goes to New Orleans, he's behind Drew Brees. All quarterbacks getting up there in age. So I think that would be perfect for a kid out of that offense, which hasn't translated well to the NFL, to give him some time. Don't force him to be out there in year one, maybe even year two. Uh, that would be great for Patrick Mahomes if he went to those types of situations. We'll go to Mike Nizolik, followed by Christopher Walsh with SEC Country. Yeah, I was just looking to see if uh, any of the former Auburn players, Carl Lawson, Montrevious, Rudy Ford, or anybody, helped or hurt themselves kind of in the pre-draft combine results or pro day. Did you kind of have anybody move up or down based on kind of what's going on in the last month? Yeah, Lawson, I think the two things with Lawson is the durability, and he doesn't have the arm length and the wingspan. I think that's the only concern. He's a great player when he was healthy. That's in the SEC. I think he deserves third, fourth-round consideration. Montrevious Adams may go ahead of Lawson. You know, I tell you, he had some games where he looked like a high pick who can control things along the interior and give you some push and give you some pass pressure from the interior. Very athletic defensive tackle. Ford, I think, as a... Third, fourth safety, special teams guy, could interest some teams late in the draft. So I think if you look at where I project them right now, I'd say Adams, maybe second, third round, a Lawson, third, fourth round, and then Ford, late rounder. Christopher Walsh and D. Orlando Ledbetter after that with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Uh, thanks. I want to ask you about some Alabama guys um, real quick. Uh, I saw that you had – Tim Williams in the second round, but I'm wondering at this point if Ryan Anderson might almost be a better um, prospect. And what's your take on Eddie Jackson, please? Yeah, I think Ryan Anderson, great player. Uh, you know, you talk about how the guys test and how they project to the next level. That's the thing. Ryan Anderson was a great college player, uh, but I think more of a late second, early third round pick for Anderson. I think he'll have a chance. Uh, to, if you're a third round pick, you got a shot to be one heck of a player. I bring up Justin Houston's name a lot as a third round pick for the Kansas City Chiefs out of the SEC in Georgia. Tim Williams, another kid. Uh, you talk about the sackability, the pass pressures that he was responsible for over a two-year period. Uh, I have him in the late second to Carolina. Uh, I think Eddie Jackson with the injury this year, as a, you know, he's not the traditional safety. He's a cornerback that moved to safety. Also a, a really good punt returner. I think Eddie Jackson, when you get into round five, round six, would be a nice addition. The Orlando Ledbetter and then Ken Corbett with the Topeka Journal. Yeah, Mel, at 31, how do you balance your uh, best player available versus the need and try to blend those together uh, for a team like the Falcons who have three uh, picks in the top 100? That's the tough part. They have a lot of talent. That's why I gave them Sidney Jones in the second round because of the late second being a point where you can take a player and basically redshirt them. Knowing you have a top 15, top 20 talent, nice to be able to say that coming back in 2018. So we got a kid that, hey, yeah, we redshirted him for a year, but we know he can be a, a really good corner. Probably would have been the second cornerback. Maybe even could have been the first cornerback taken this year. Think about that when you get into the mid to late second round with Sidney Jones. Taco Charlton, you never have enough good pass rushers. You saw that in the championship game. Guys, wear down. And Brady took advantage of that. Interior-wise and outside, another pass rusher like Taco Charlton, uh, Derek Barnett, if there's a pass rusher there in the late first, like I said, just look at the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, it's a pass-happy league. You've got to have more than just one or two, and uh, he would certainly help the Atlanta Falcons. Ken Corbett and then Dave Burkett with the Detroit Free Press. 
Yes, your thoughts on two Kansas State players, Jordan Willis and Elijah Lee? Yeah, Willis tested great. Didn't play always to the level of the way he tested, but he was productive enough to be a second-round pick. I think mean, more of a late second-round pick. I could see him going even a little earlier than that if people are enamored with the, the talent, which was exceptional in terms of the workout, and the fact that if you saw him in the right game, you put it all together, you say he could be an early second-round pick. Uh, in terms of Lee coming out the way he did, when he was out there, he was a guy, when he was supported by some interior presence, could make some plays and, and was productive. I have right now a fifth-round grade on Lee. Dave Burkett, followed by Matt Porter with the Palm Beach Post. And, Mel, I'm just curious about some uh, linebacker options for the Lions at 21. If, if Reddick from Temple, uh, what are the chances that Reddick from Temple could make it there? And if not, could you sort of compare and contrast Jared Davis to, to Cunningham a little bit and, and what, what sort of players those guys are? Yeah, I think Reddick will be gone. Reddick is red hot right now. I haven't gone to New Orleans at 11. If he were there, obviously, I mean, you get the sub, one of the top ten players in this draft. I think Davis – just a versatile kid. He tested great at 240 pounds. He ran four, five, eight, and had a 38 and a half vertical. Uh, you know, he's had some minor injury issues, but when you look at him, uh, he's not. He's more of an inside guy who can get a little heat on the quarterback. Um, Cunningham is an athletic inside backer. Another guy, rangy. Um, I'd give Davis a slight edge, you know, over Cunningham, but it's close. Uh, close enough. As I said, I probably made a mistake not putting Cunningham in the second round. I have Davis right now going to 23, pick number 23 to the New York Giants. Matt Porter with the Palm Beach Post, followed by Jim Kleinpeter with the New Orleans Times-Picune. Hey, Mel, I want to ask you, what is the lowest you think David Njoku of Miami will be drafted? What do you think the highest Brad Kaya of Miami would be drafted? And then your thoughts on any other Miami guys you think who are pretty much locked to be drafted at this point. But I'll tell you what, I would say for the high, the lowest Njoku, probably Pittsburgh, but I have him going higher than that right now, obviously. I would say right now, Kaya, uh, when you say the highest, I'd say maybe third, fourth round. Uh, you know, Jenkins, the safety, maybe late. Uh, I would think. Uh, Stacy Coley, the wide receiver, I think he could go in the third, fourth round mix. Uh, Yearby, the running back, probably late or priority free agent. Isadora, the guard, maybe fourth round. It's not a great year for guards, and he's up there in that top six, seven, eight guards. Uh, so he could go maybe a little bit higher than people think. Oh, and then, of course, Corn Elder. Uh, Corn Elder, the cornerback from Miami, I have a fifth, sixth round grade on him. Next is Jim Kleinpeter, followed by Mike Reese with ESPN.com. Two other few questions, Mel. Um, in, in your estimation of the cornerbacks, what, what separates uh, Tredavious White from the ones that are above him? And two, uh, do you see Duke Riley as a carbon copy of Deion Jones, or are there some decided differences there? That's a good comparison, because right? you know, Deion Jones was the guy people thought outside, inside, just athletic, fast to the ball, a great range. Perfect for today's NFL. That's Duke Riley. I think he's a second-round pick. At worst, a third-round pick. I could have put him in the second very easily. You, know, you can't put everybody in round two, but he's got, for me, a second, like late second, early third-round grade. I couldn't argue with round two for him. I think Tredavious White plays the ball really well. Uh, I like the fact that he went back for another year. He's got the punt return ability as an, as an added bonus. Uh, I think he's arguably the second or third best cornerback in this draft. Some think fourth or fifth, sixth best corner. I think his stock has dropped just a bit. 
I think maybe early second round for him, late first, early second round for White. So uh, he's a good corner. Like I say, he plays the ball, I think, a lot better than people think, and I like him as a football player. Mike Reese with ESPN.com, followed by Therese Taylor with the Kansas City Star. Thank you. Um, Mel, just wanted to toss this out at you, see what you thought. The Patriots obviously not picking until 72. Let's say Sidney Jones or Jake Butt is there, just with the injury situations. What's your thought on, you know, the likelihood that they could be there? I heard you talking about Jones, you know, late second to the Falcons. Or where would Butt, you know, maybe come into the discussion? And what would you think about that scenario for them going for a player, you know, coming off the injury like that? I think that's the way to go. I think if you can afford it, teams like Atlanta and New England, obviously the Steelers and any team that you think is in that elite group, uh, you know, can afford to do that. And I think Jake Butt, I've missed the fifth best tight end even with coming off the knee injury in the bowl game. So I'd take Jake Butt. Some think he could go second round. I'm thinking more third round. As I said, Sidney Jones, I'm thinking late second. Some think third round for him. So I would say this. By the end of round three, at the end of day two, night two, I guess you should say, Friday night, I think both Butt and Sidney Jones are selected. And last question today, Therese Taylor. Hey, thanks again for doing this, Mel. Uh, quick question. Talking, talking to people around the league, man, I, I can't really get, like, a consensus on, like, the top quarterback. Like, I think if you go anyway, just in your opinion, kind of where we are with that. Do you think there's going to be a consensus for who's going to be the top guy? I don't really know if you can build it. I, I tried to do that. Uh, I thought I had a little bit of a consensus on Trubisky. Todd, that was Owen Watson, so we're split there right here. Uh, so I'd say Trubisky, Watson, like affirmed an alley dar, two, yeah, a two-horse race down to the end. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has jumped way up there. Some think he could be the number one quarterback in this draft. Uh, you can't argue with the arm talent. I mean, he's exciting. But Deshaun Kaiser, I think now is probably fourth. Peterman from Pitt, fifth. So if I had to give you a guess right now, it would be Trubisky slightly over Watson, with Watson the second quarterback. Mahomes right there as the two, three. Kaiser at four, and I can say Peterman at five, then a battle for six between Webb from Cal, Kaya from Miami of Florida, and Dobbs from Tennessee. Dobbs is getting a lot of late push, a lot of late momentum. Webb, some think, is a second-round pick. I think he might be a little bit overrated, but I hope he goes, like I say, for all these kids. I hope they go earlier than you think. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the way I would look at the quarterbacks right now. Unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today. Sincerely, thank you all for being here, for your time on the phone. We've got more calls planned later this month as the draft nears, so please take a look out for those advisories. And for your reference, we will have the audio replay available at ESPN's Pod Center page on ESPN.com. Thank you again. Have a great rest of your day.